0: This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Kansas U.S. Senator Jerry Moran. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. America's crop insurance industry provides individualized protection on more than 311 million acres of farmland. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Senator Jerry Moran next. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Kansas Senator Jerry Moran says congressional approval of continuing resolution spending bills has only made addressing the nation's budget issues more difficult. As a member of the Senate Appropriations Committee, Senator Brand says the difficulty in finding an agreement on the current fiscal year's budget does not bode well for
1: bringing the FY20 bill in on schedule. Well, the fact that we can't resolve this fiscal year means it, uh, we certainly will start late on the next fiscal year. And in fact, that the government is shut down means that the people who do the work to prepare the budget aren't at work. And so we would be expecting, in just a month or so, a budget from the president, which generally begins the congressional appropriations process, and that's going to be delayed significantly already. So I I wouldn't be surprised, but maybe the best outcome would be that the House and Senate deem a budget number. That shortens the budgetary process and puts numbers in place that then those of us who serve on the appropriations committee can go to work and start building. We can't. We cannot work on appropriation bills, we cannot certainly conclude appropriation bills until we have an agreed upon number, total spending, and then it's broken down by 12 different categories so that each of the subcommittees in the appropriations process gets a number and then we build our appropriation bill to that number and that number, that level of spending, is not going to be available in time to really do the budget process as it should be done in uh, the new fiscal year. I would add that when we do these continuing resolutions, what that means, two things to me, and and they're very important. One, you naturally think of uh, that we ought to prioritize spending. Something's more valuable than something else. My view, there's a few things probably we could spend, should spend more money on. There's some things that maybe we got it about right, and maybe there's a whole bunch of things that we shouldn't be spending money on at all. But when we do a continuing resolution, all things are equal. Uh, you make no decisions about more, less, or the same. So just as a matter of the fiscal responsibility that, that I have as a member of Congress to the, to the taxpayers, to the citizens of this country, we just look the other way. And the one that's not necessarily thought of very often is it also means that Congress is no longer uh, have, no longer has the power of the purse string. And by that I mean, why would a cabinet secretary, an agency head, a bureau chief, pay attention to a member of Congress about spending, about how they conduct themselves in that department, bureau, uh, or agency, if we don't have the leverage of telling them, this is how much money you're going to get, this is how you can spend it, and oh, by the way, you can't spend any money on this issue. When we don't do appropriation bills, we give more power to the executive branch, And this isn't about a power struggle. The Constitution gives Congress the responsibility of appropriating money on behalf of the citizens of this country. And when constituents complain to me about something an agency has done uh, or a rule and regulation that they've created, I have less ability to influence reining that executive branch decision in if that bureau, bureau chief, that agency head, doesn't know... Moran is a member of the United States Senate. He's a member of the Appropriations Committee. And if we don't cooperate, if we don't listen, if we don't work together, then there's a consequence to how much money I get to spend. If the 116th is a dance, it seems as though we've come off on the wrong foot
0: if we're working on last year's budget first thing. So past this, what do you hope for in 19? And are there places that you see that there can be give and take and there can be legislative success for the country.
1: Well, there absolutely are. There should be and there is. And I think generally most members of Congress and most Americans want Congress to work together. Protect, particularly in, in the previous administration, kind of Kansans would call and they'd say, um, you tell Moran not to budge one inch. That's about half of my constituents. The other half call and say, why can't Moran work with his colleagues and get something done? So there's this clash. The way I view this is there's a, a, a very narrow set of issues, integrity, morals, um, things that are, are, are you know commitments that you don't have much, if any, room to budge, and then a whole bunch of stuff that there's no choice but to work together. And I think members of Congress are hired to make the decision, which category does this issue fit in? Is this something that we go to the wall on, that narrow set of issues, or is it something that we're going to work together and find a common ground? I would say to AgriPults listeners that as a rural member of Congress, as a, as a senator who represents a, a part of the middle of the country in Kansas, we have to work together or we get nothing. There are many more votes on the coasts than there are in middle America. And if I am only allowed to do the things that, that, that there's no room to budge on, if, I, if, if there is no room to budge, there's nothing I can accomplish on behalf. Look at the Farm Bill. There is no farm bill if the answer is you can you will only support exactly what you want. Give and take is required. Is there give and take in any particular areas that you see one might find some success? Uh, Jeff, I would have answered this question differently two weeks ago, three weeks ago than I would today. And before, I would have said yes. And I'm, I'm always an optimist. I see the new Congress as like New Year's resolutions, the hope for doing better in the new year. And I think that is true. There are several things now that work against us. One is what we've been talking about, and that's this appropriations budget shutdown. And until people get out of the corners, I don't think there's gonna be any kind of real accommodation, any kind of how do we solve problems together until we get this issue behind us. I also would say in that regard that we ought to work to use this opportunity to resolve immigration issues in a broad sense. Immigration comes back to haunt us in our ability to get things done over and over and over. Could we here at this point in time with the shutdown taking place, could we use this moment to resolve broad issues about immigration? Could we find the things that many members of Congress could support? Are there uh, immigration issues that could get 60 votes in the United States Senate? We ought to put a package together that then is satisfactory to a broad group of people, and maybe in that process we could find agreement to get out of the shutdown. And make a decision as to border security. So, I'm a while an optimist long term, I think it there's no evidence that there's going to be that level of cooperation, even on other issues, until the shutdown is concluded. Out of the skillet, into the fire, evaluate the position
0: that we are in now in trade negotiations and especially with emphasis on China.
1: Well. There are conversations, perhaps discussions going on between U.S. officials and Chinese officials. That's a good thing. The pause that the president announced a month or so ago is a good thing. We still need to resolve the tariff issue, the steel and aluminum. The country's economy needs, I mean, I think you see a rocky stock market. You see some growing level of uncertainty as to what's next as a result of Congress and the President being unable to resolve differences and the trade war's uncertainty. So, I mean, there is a, th- this is a, an issue that could be resolved in the near future, and, and, and from time to time the President says he expects it to be, but we need to see results in the trade issues, particularly as it relates to tariffs in China. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that China is, misbehaves. And we've been taken advantage of, as the rest of the world has, too. You know, our, our message, a number of us Republican senators from agriculture states met with the president uh, last year. And our message was kind of you ought to get reengaged in TPP, the Trans-Pacific Partnership. We need to resolve our differences with Mexico and Canada and what replaces NAFTA. We need to get out of the, the, the turmoil that we're creating with Europe and let us all of us, all the world, then isolate China uh, in regard to their misbehavior on cybersecurity, stealing our trade secrets, uh, it is the, the intellectual property theft, uh, and do it as a world, because the whole world is uh, would be willing to support efforts to get China to behave differently than they do. But a tariff battle in which we raise tariffs and they retaliate, we raise them some more and they retaliate again, when it's just us versus China, they begin to find other markets I mean, particularly in agriculture, uh, Argentina and Brazil become much more important players. When we're not active in, if you want to help isolate the bad behavior of China, engage in TPP. We've given them greater opportunity by not being involved in the Trans-Pacific Partnership for China to grow its economy. Uh, We ought to be aligned with the others uh, outside China. Let's
0: talk about North American trade. A renegotiated NAFTA, NAFTA-2, or USMCA, now as it's known. But the steel and aluminum tariffs are still in place. There is talk by the administration of pulling out of NAFTA to force the congressional hand to approve USMCA or nothing, and still an agreement that has to be ratified by three different governments. Is this a 19 issue, and can a USMCA come through the
1: U.S. Senate, and I'll speculate the House, if those tariffs are still in place? Uh, I think the tariffs have to be resolved before you'd see uh, approval by Congress uh, of USMCA. Uh, A year ago, I was at the American Farm Bureau annual meeting talking about the importance of NAFTA. A year later, I certainly will will reiterate the same message about the importance of trade and exports. Uh, From a Kansas point of view, Mexico is our number one purchaser of ag commodities uh, from Kansas. Canada is the number one purchaser overall of manufacturing and ag products from Kansas. This relationship matters. And my the, the message I deliver to American Farm Bureau annual meeting this time is we need to make certain that we don't withdraw or terminate NAFTA while we wait on Congress to approve USMCA. I think USMCA is a is an improvement uh, in many instances, there's some who gain a little and lose a little in this discussion, but I do know that having an agreement, in this case USMCA, is better than not having an agreement. And I don't think that terminating NAFTA increases the chances that Congress will pass USMCA. And in fact, I think it gives leverage to the opponents of the provisions of USMCA if there's nothing that for which we fall back on to get their way and in fact alter USMCA in ways that would be very detrimental to our trading relationships and certainly detrimental to agriculture in the United States. So what I hope happens is that the President does not withdraw from NAFTA. I've made my pitch to. Ambassador Lighthizer and to others within the administration, consider me an ally for one who wants to work with my colleagues, Republicans and Democrats, to see that USMCA is ratified, is approved. But don't make it more difficult to do that by withdrawing from NAFTA.
0: So then thinking of the 2018 Farm Bill, approved and signed, no regulations being written because the government is shut down, is it
1: adequate to protect Kansas farmers in this climate we're in right now. Well, I mean, I'm pleased with the with the new farm bill. Many of us were excited or pleased, maybe that's the way of saying it. It's hard to get excited about many things uh, that come from Washington, D.C., but victories uh, are rare enough that when the farm bill passed, that is really good news. From a policy point of view, its protection of crop insurance was something I would highlight. It is something that we needed for certainty, and the farm bill helps farmers go to their bankers and borrow money. But I want to emphasize the point that you made in your question, which is, while we got pleased about that moment, we also ought to be just about as displeased with the fact that USDA is now not in a position, because of the shutdown, to implement the farm bill. Overall, I mean, I think getting a farm bill done in this environment, I would consider it a success uh, to accomplish that. Uh, but uh, it needs to be implemented, and, uh, and there will be problems with it. But we've provided some additional benefits that weren't in the old farm bill in this one.
0: So farmers enter 2019 in a surplus situation. Surplus corn, certainly surplus soybeans, and other bulk commodities. Because of the trade war, the president did approve and offered the MFP payments. But if these trade wars are not quickly resolved, and if the surplus remains, farm income will be down yet again. Is there a reason, do you see Congress stepping in to assist producers, especially the longer this drags
1: on, or will the Farm Bill have to be enough? I think it would be very difficult to convince Congress that more is going to be required. I I can certainly make the case about the difficulty in agriculture. Uh, Our farmers and ranchers are struggling in ways that are, I've been at this a while and I've seen lots of difficulties in agriculture. But we're at a point in in which it's as difficult now as it's ever been. Also inside the Farm Bill, a Kansas senator and an
0: Ohio senator worked together, and you saw success from an amendment called
1: Farmers First. Expand on that, please. Jeff, thanks for highlighting that. And it, it is the the challenges that farmers face. We have a... A significant increase and way too many farmers who commit suicide Uh, this is not a comfortable topic to talk about I raise it at every opportunity because I want farmers families I want farmers neighbors I want farmers people they go to church with I want their pastor their priests to talk to farmers make sure they're doing okay we got involved in this issue with veterans and there is you know 20 veterans a day commit suicide the farm numbers are are bad as well. I, I My guess is that the way this is weighing on farmers is that a farmer is at a, a, a point in time in his or her life in which it doesn't seem to be working, and they think back to their parents, and they think mom and dad made it, and they think about grandparents or great-grandparents, and they made it. Why can't I do it? That's a tremendous pressure on people who are trying to keep a farm together, keep the far- family farm together with the hopes that the next generation, their kids and grandkids can ha- appreciate that way of life and earn a living doing so. And so this is legislation that, uh, that we came together to, to introduce, which we were successful including in the Farm Bill, that creates resources, dollars for community mental health centers, for uh, state departments of agriculture, for the hotline to call with mental health issues, we need desperately to increase our availability of mental health services across the country, across the board, but it's especially true they are lacking in rural communities. It's just harder to find that psychologist, that psychiatrist, that social worker. We really need, and why I say this uh, to to you and our listeners is, we need to make sure as neighbors, uh, we need to make sure as a farm organization, as a commodity group, We're checking in on our members to make sure that they're getting what they need um, in this difficult time. Regulation
0: has been a challenge for agriculture, and now there is a WOTUS regulation. There are E-15 regulations being proposed, and we're even hearing some proposed regulations with regard to nutrition and who's going to receive nutrition benefits because it didn't make it into the Farm Bill. How do regulatory issues
1: show up in 2019? Well, I think the, the drumbeat will continue for regulatory relief. I think this administration has made progress in reducing the burden of regulations, uh, making certain that they are. What I always say I'm for is I want common sense involved in that regulation. I want sound science. And um, we're, we're, in my view, moving in a better direction than we were. But there's always, and it's, and it's difficult from one administration to the next to, to see the change. Uh, many regulations are created over a long period of time. The process by which they are undone takes a while as well. Uh, and my view is that this is, a, this is the fault of, I mean, I certainly was critical, for example, of the Obama administration and waters of the United States. But I'm also critical of Congress that creates the opportunities for any administration to do the things that are so onerous. We need to make certain, it goes back to congressional responsibility, if we're doing our appropriations process, it's a way that we can rein in regulations because we can tell them uh, at that agency there is no money to spend on what you're proposing here. Or, better yet, we can have a conversation, we have leverage so they listen to us and we can resolve, maybe get them to do it in a different way or a better way. But we need to make certain that we don't pass legislation that is so open-ended, so uh, allowing those agencies to do all the things it seemed to, to do. Congress needs to do its job, is, a, is my plea. Senator Roberts has suggested in the Senate Ag
0: Committee, uh, Chairman Peterson of the House has said in the House Ag Committee, they will give attention to climate change. Is climate change an opportunity for agriculture by showing what farming can do to help to sequester carbon? Or is this an issue that opens Pandora's box that agriculture
1: should fear? I always think it's better for us to embrace difficult issues, that it's smarter for agriculture. Again, we're a minority. If this just comes down to people forcing their will on us, uh, there are more of those who want to force their will on us than there are those of us who could push back. Therefore, agriculture ought to use this and other issues as an opportunity to say, how can we help, what can we do, and in the process there can be benefits to agriculture. I mean, we know that uh, uh, agriculture can help capture Uh, the things we put in the atmosphere to the benefit of the environment and there's opportunities for agriculture to expand upon that. There is a state
0: California that wants to impose regulations on how livestock is produced and not just on their producers but they also want to impose those restrictions on any other farmer in any other state that wants to sell their product inside their borders. Is that a state right
1: or is that a concern for federal commerce? Jeff, I smile when you ask this question because this is a dilemma that I face. I mean, I have—I um, I became a Republican a long time ago, as a really as a teenager, for a number of reasons. One of them was the basic belief that government closest to home is better than government far away, because we're better able to influence our local officials, our state officials, than we do somebody removed in the nation's capital. But in this economy, a global economy. Uh, We can't have 50 different sets of regulations. And the question is, how do we do this? Is there some minimum standard of behavior? Uh, Is there some maximum standard of behavior? But when it comes to the Commerce Clause of the United States Constitution, I think we have to exercise our authority to create a standard. It's the same issue as we faced in the GMO issue. How many different sets of regulations are we going to have, or is there going to be a national one? And my smile is that this is a conflict for me, but I have come to the conclusion that I need to work to create an opportunity for all of, in this case, agriculture, uh, livestock industry, to succeed across the country. And a different standard in, a, in each state would not allow that to happen. Senator Moran, it's
0: always a joy to have you as a part of the program here on Open Mic. It's Open Mic,
1: and it's your turn to get the last word. Well, Jeff, uh, I was asked by a newspaper reporter uh, in Kansas uh, at the end of the year, like, what's your new, new Year's resolution or what's your hope for the new year? Uh, I just would encourage our listeners to, to find ways that they – we work together with our neighbors, with those in the city and those in the country, uh, and we find some common ground and we set aside as many differences as we can to resolve things that are beneficial to us in agriculture and rural America but are also beneficial to the country our way of life in rural america is in jeopardy it is a challenge each and every year but there is real reasons that we want small-town america and agriculture to be around not only in two thousand nineteen but for a generation to come
0: our thanks to kansas u-s senator jerry moran our guest this week on open mic agripulse open mic is brought to you by ncis the national crop insurance services America's crop insurance industry is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Alley.